Hello, hello. Welcome to Tuckered Out with me, Ami Tucker. I interview Pallavi Gola, founder and CEO of Lark Adventure Wear, the first and only children's activewear brand for children zero to 10 years old, and now for adults. They are on a mission to make technically superior clothing that makes life less stressful for parents, thank God, and more comfortable for kids. They have also uniquely positioned themselves as a thread-to-garment technical bamboo apparel brand in a, wait for it, $100 billion activewear market due to their soft tech bamboo that they use. It's kind of cool. I never knew anything about it, but it's legit, guys, because Bolivie sent me some clothes for us to try, me and the girls. Absolutely fell in love. The most comfortable, cutest clothes ever. I might still be wearing mine from my interview last week. They have been mentioned in Vogue, Inc., Forbes, HuffPost, everywhere. And Bolivie is also a badass. So I really enjoy talking to her. And I hope you enjoy my interview with Bolivie Gola. Okay, so I know you went to NYU Stern for undergrad, which is your 20s. And then you got your MBA, like a good Indian girl. UCLA, so great, fantastic schools. I'm sure your parents are very proud. So tell me about your time in New York City and LA. You were obviously in school. You worked at hedge funds and you've worked with a wine company and you have such an interesting background. So sum it up for me. Tell me about your times on the coast and then kind of your return to the roots. How did that happen? Sure. Um, So I went to NYU. I was like, I'm not going to be a doctor. My whole family's doctors. That was already black, you know, black sheep. But I was like, you know, if I'm going to do this finance thing, I'm going to go all in. So like investment banking, internship, you know, 4.0, like just really like had to get my thought I had to keep my stuff together, worked in finance. I actually loved it. Like I loved numbers. I loved like being in a unique position as a woman and, you know, kind of like standing out and working really hard to to make kind of moves within that world. Um, and it was, I, I, I enjoyed the work. I was working really hard, you know, as we all do in our early twenties. And I got a lot of skills that have helped me in my life. Um, I, um, met my husband, well, I reconnected with my husband who's from Pittsburgh online through Facebook. Wait, wait, uh, I gotta hear the story. What do you mean reconnected? Um, we knew each other in Pittsburgh, like okay. we were both in Pittsburgh. Um, we were just like kind of in the Indian community, like friend, you know, everyone kind of knows each other. We weren't really close. Eight years later, he's in LA. I'm in Pittsburgh. He asked me, I put up a picture of a stealer as my profile picture on Facebook when Facebook was cool. And he messaged me and he was like, I like your new look. And I was like, nice. And so we're like messaging back and forth. I'm like, it's been, you know, 10 years. How are you? And then he invited me to Steelers game. We came back home went to a Steelers game uh, and we were dating probably before we came back home for our first date. It was very backwards. And uh, we got, I moved to LA a couple months later and we were engaged like within six months of like meeting each other. Oh, I love it. Yeah. Good old Facebook. I guess Facebook is useful in some ways. <laughs> if you know someone before it made it a lot easier. Right. And right. Then, less less we're, creepier. 
Yeah, we're not really on Facebook anymore. But you know, it was it was before the dating apps. It was before like all of that stuff. So it was it was an authentic reconnection. And and then I moved out to LA because he was he's a doctor. He was doing his residency out there. Okay. Uh, I went back to grad. I worked at another hedge fund there. Went back to grad school. Before I went back to grad school, this is where my world starts to turn. I was like, I'm done with finance. I know I want to do something with products, do something more tangible. I want to get on the other side. I want to get into marketing, you know, um, or something. I wanted to start a business. Like I was very entrepreneurial. I was always working for smaller firms. I liked having an impact. Um, and so I kind of quit my job at a hedge fund and I worked in restaurants before uh, going back to business school because I was like, I'm just going to start a restaurant. I wanted to be like Steven Starr or um, Danny Meyer. Like that was my goal. And I was like, I'm going to start re- a restaurant group just like them. That was my business school essay. Uh, worked on the floor of restaurants, worked in like administration. I worked for like Thomas Keller, who's like this famous chef, just like working on the floor. Quit my job for four months. And it was amazing. Like I really learned that a lot. that hard as hell? It's hard as hell. Um, and I was like, I can do this for five years, but I can't do it for 20 years. Right. And it was good. It was, I met a lot of amazing people and, you know, um, learned a lot of skills. Like I wasn't in front of people uh, at my computer spreadsheet job <laughs> totally. to be frank. And there was like celebrities and all this stuff. It was fun. Um, and I went back to school and I was like, but I do love wine and I'm going to get a couple of wine degrees and I'm going to like learn about wine just on the side. I actually started like a little business in business school, like a startup. And I had a couple of friends and we kind of built it out during business school. It was called Vine Lust. It was pretty much what any wine subscription businesses now. You take a quick quiz, you get wine sent to you that kind of like, you know, um, helps you determine what what wines you might like and then it kind of changes. I was almost trying to build a Pandora of wine um, and got some like master sommeliers to help me with the algorithm and all this stuff. So that was like my business school project. It really didn't go beyond business school. I ended up like working at E&J Gallo, which is like this winery that was like my business school internship, did brand management. I quit, shut down my site. And I was like, I'm just going to get a real job. And then one of our competitors who had raised a lot of um, money, Wink Wines, it was then Club W, uh, was like, why'd you close down your site? And they only had like five employees. And so I ended long story short, went in for a meeting. I didn't really know what was coming out of it. I think they just wanted to know why I didn't like pursue it. And I was like, well, the margins suck and I'm just selling other people's wine. And he was like, they were like, me too, except we're going to like build our own winery. And so you can like help us start that. And so it was really cool to see an idea that I thought of too. Um, and I took it to a certain, like dis- I took it a certain distance, but then there are these serial entrepreneurs that did it like bigger, better, faster, frankly speaking. And I was right. like, let me just go on this ride and see like what they created out of kind of a similar idea. And it was a great learning experience. I was with them for two years and they had raised, you know, within that time I went from like employee number five um, and then they, they grew to like a hundred people and I just saw the whole process and I had a team and I was like building out literally like the whole wine landscape. What do the brands look like? What do we, what do we need? Like how, what's our supply chain look like? So it was a little mini business within a business and it was in the wine industry and I was 30. So like, what more could you want? Um, I mean, amazing. I know it's like a perfect a, gig, a lot of wine. Um, and then, um, I could have stayed there and it was a real, it was really was my dream job, but uh, my husband got a job back in Pittsburgh or, you know, he was done with residency. We're looking at other places and um, 
I stayed with them for a little bit after I moved back to Pittsburgh, but ultimately I was like, I want to do something on my own. Like, this isn't my idea. I've helped them grow this. Um, I think that's awesome, but it's like time for me to think about something else. I did some consulting work, had my child, um, and I was just kind of like hanging out for three months. I had a really crazy pregnancy and delivery, I should say. Um, and it kind of made me reassess like life, (laughs) um, and was just kind of taking time with with my little guy and came up with the idea for Lark. And so it didn't happen overnight. It definitely was like a journey to start the business, you know, having a newborn and thinking of an idea and it all coming to fruition. It took a lot longer to get off the ground. But, um, you know, we've been in business now four years and the last three years is where I've really seen the business grow. And for those not familiar, we make bamboo children's clothing from this special fabric. It's called soft tech. It's super soft. It's bamboo and cotton and sun safe and it's moisture wicking. And so that textile is different than what's on the market. But then we always try to think about how to make children's clothing better, to make changes easier, to make them fun for kids. Like, you know, and as I mentioned, you know, my goal is to make life less stressful for parents. And as I've grown and my kids have grown, those stresses change. And so that's really allowed me to like just create better products and really with everything in mind, try to make better products that just don't exist. Um, right, and, right. And, and so I think that attitude has like created this community and that community has really fueled me um, to keep it, keep it going. Yeah. I mean, so I have so many questions. So one, I will say the thing I loved uh, you know, when, when my kids were wearing the clothes you sent this weekend was that it was, you know, they, they could wear it kind of anywhere in any situation, right? Yeah. They were super cute. So when they were out, we were out mini golfing, I didn't have to change them. I don't know. It was just easy. I know I keep saying that. Yeah. And I did get a lot of compliments. Okay. So a few things I want to ask you. The idea, so you're talking about the wine stuff. It was called Wink. Was that the name of the? Wink is like the company. Yeah. They right. kind of changed the name from Club W to Wink. They're now like, they IPO'd this year. It's kind of, yeah. That's crazy. So I feel like there's a common story, right? Like, you know, a lot of people have a lot of great ideas like you did and they did. And it's all a matter of timing and luck and, and momentum and the team and all that stuff. So when you were working with them and you obviously grew there and you could have stayed. Did it ever bug you that you weren't the one that founded it? Was that an issue for you? And that's not an ego thing. That's more just like you've done it. Because I know a lot of entrepreneurs that have gone through that. Uh, That's my first question. And then jumping back a little bit more, my husband went to HBS. Just curiosity, is all business school a big party? Because I just need to know. You know, I don't know if he was married to you when he was in business school, but being a married person in business school is like- We were dating. We were dating. Okay. Yeah. I mean, like it was definitely fun. And my husband was like like, doing the residency, like toil. And so I was just like on my own with a lot of free time. So yeah, it was a lot of fun. I'm not going to say it was. You guys have fun. I was like, so when he got in, I was like, he wouldn't talk to me for six months because he was applying and it was crazy. And and then he got in and I was like, what do you guys do here? Exactly. Why am I coming up every weekend for like a dance? Like what's happening? <laughs> it's really about the network and less about the classes. No, for sure. By the way, it's been 12 years now and the benefits, and I'm sure you'll say the same, are yeah. insane. Yes. Anyway, yeah. just curious about what your experience was. Yeah. And going back to the ego thing, to be honest, like at that point, like I felt like I had taken it as far as I could go, you know? Right. And, and it was like, I it's I'm a whippersnapper. Like I just graduated business school. Like the world is my oyster. And so I think I may 
feel that way now if I went from like Lark and like I went and joined that business as like a late 30s personality. Um, But like at that time, I was like, let me just jump in here and like learn from these guys that like have already built successful businesses. I was like, I'm just here to like soak it up, take advantage of the opportunity, like gain my own skill set and then go from there. Yeah. Yeah. So, So you know wine, you know wine. I wow. know why. Yes. Okay. Yeah, so I, I just, I on a side note, I just started a subscription to, I'm trying to do, you know, less tannins, less calories. Yeah. Oh, like the, you're in like the Don Tannin wine thing. Well, I'm 40. So like shit changes when you're 40, like your entire body. So I just can't handle it as much. It's yeah. So I just started a subscription to dry farm wines. Have you heard of them? Okay. I haven't, but there's okay. a few different people that are yeah. okay. Just curious. So I started, and it, you know, I get three bottles every few weeks. I don't know. Maybe it's just BS, and it's totally the same thing. I don't. But it seems like I feel it, better after is drinking. It, is it non-alcoholic or is it low sulfite? Low sulfite, non-alcoholic. Okay. I wouldn't waste calories on non-alcoholic. Neither. Like, what's I'm not the into point? A new non-alcoholic trend. I'm just gonna drink water. Yeah, or- I'll drink water or like nothing. Like, what's the point? Like I'm not going to have juice and lemonade and waste it on it not being alcoholic, right? Yeah. Okay. Anyways, yeah. Uh, you grew up in Pittsburgh, right? Yeah, I grew okay. up in Pittsburgh. Yeah. And you, you, you said you had mentioned I'm not going to be a doctor, which is another common theme with with my guest. Your family was disappointed. They wanted you to be the. Would you grow up in the typical Indian household where a doctor, lawyer, kind of engineer kind of thing? And was that the case? And did you always know you wanted to go into business or be a businesswoman? Um, I wanted to be a doctor until like 11th grade. Um, and my, I have two older brothers. They like went to straight, you know, medical school programs from high school. And it was just kind of assumed my mom's a doctor. She's the one that came here. Actually, she's like an OG mom that like came here alone, left oh her my kid. God. I love my her. Husband, my dad in India and just like was like, I'm going to do this thing. And so she's like, she's pretty, pretty gangster. Uh, <laughs> and yeah. so she is a really strong female role model for me. And so I was just like, yeah, I'm just everyone I know is a doctor. I didn't even know anything differently, to be honest. So it wasn't like, I just didn't know. I was like, uh, I, I then I didn't like science. Um, and then I went to governor school, which is a thing in Pennsylvania during my junior year, my parents would probably like just take that out of my life if they could. But I had a choice, I could go to healthcare governor school. And it was like this gifted kids thing. Or I could go to like, international business. And I was like, let me just see what's out there. Let me, let me like, just check it out. And it was like a summer program where you're on your own. And I met so many really cool kids. And I just learned about like economics. And I was like, I actually really like this. Like, I really could see myself doing something in this world. Let me learn more about it. And my parents were supportive. Like I applied to Emily Stern, like early decision. They were like, but after a year, if you want to be pre-med, like, definitely, definitely be pre-med. <laughs> and it was like, it was, it was, to be honest, a lot of every summer they would ask, like, are you sure? What's your future? And it, I, I used to get really frustrated. There was a lot of fights at that point in time. You know, I was there, it, I'm making it seem fine now, but at the time it was a stressful time for all of us because they didn't know. And it took me understanding. It's just that they don't know. Right. And so their goal is to get me to be safe, and secure and land on my feet. And I, as a parent, I understand that now. But as a child, I was like, why don't you get it? Like, I don't want to do this. And I think, um, I think 
it, that only drove me to be like, I'm going to show them that I can be really secure and get like the best finance job that I can. And once I did that, they're like, okay, I see what you're doing. Like you're making a re reasonable amount of money. Like you can like, this right. is pretty amazing. And then I was like, but now I'm going to quit and work at restaurants. <laughs> it's fine, mom. And wine. I have wine, guys. It's fine. Yeah, quit and start my own business. So it's really been a steady decline, but now they know that not to have any high expectations. No, um, they this know that amazing. I This is amazing. This is amazing. Honestly, <laughs> so I have an older brother that became a, P a PGI yeah. and I hated science. I barely passed math. I'm like one of the few Indian people that were like, I didn't know, like, at least you knew. I just didn't even know what I wanted. I didn't even yeah. know. I ended up going to law school, by the way, because- Okay just to do something as a, just to like not embarrass my family. But I, I think the reason, another reason I started this podcast is because I've had so many different careers between graduation and now 20 years later. And yeah. I envy people like you knowing that you knew what you wanted in a way, like not certainly at a hundred percent, like pinpoint, but you yeah. knew what it wasn't like, you, you knew you didn't want the math and the science. Yeah. And yeah. I just, to me, when I'm talking to guests, I'm like, I, I love that. I love that. I wish I had that because I figured out that I should have gone to journalism school at 38 mm -hmm. when I started this yeah. thing. Yeah. I just never knew. I never had the guidance, right? Like I never, my parents, our parents are trying their best. They're immigrating here. Your mom's obviously a doctor. So even more so wanting you guys to be, and it's not their fault. Yeah. I think it's not their fault. Like in, in, I think there's amazing things that they taught. Like that's why there's so many successful South Asians in the world. Right. And regardless of what they've taken on, they've killed it because right. there's a work ethic and a perseverance there that, and I think a lot of immigrants or families, you know, parents, children of immigrants have the same kind of work ethic, but, um, you know, I don't blame them. And I see that through a totally different lens now, but it was frustrating at the time. And now I think they've just like, like they, they've come to terms with who I am and, you know, that I am just different and that I have different aspirations that, that don't, you know, my mom's like, it's just easier to be a doctor. She says that all the time. She's like, what you do is so hard. And I was like, it would have been really hard for me to go. I think to a doctor school. is really hard. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's really hard. Yeah. Like just <laughs> no, like I couldn't even pass organic chem barely. Yeah. Okay. So I want to ask you about those first few months. You obviously ha are an entrepreneur at heart. Um, but if you can go back to that time, talk about maybe best decision you made during this, during the time and the worst decision during the initial launch, like yeah. best moment and worst. Yeah. So I, I launched a Kickstarter, like, you know, three months before I had production come in and it wasn't, uh, it wasn't a decision of like whether I would make the clothes or not. I already kind of had a manufacturer. I was in production, but I was like, let me build awareness. Let me see if I can sell some of these clothes ahead of time. And um, I paid some like PR firm, like $10,000. I'm not even kidding. Like this is all savings from my finance, you know, career. And I was like, I think I was just like, yeah, I'm going to get the world out, word out there. Like, we're just going to hire this PR firm. Done, yeah. Kickstarter, and we'll just like get in the news. Uh, it was the worst. It was just a just a dump, a fire, a fire dumpster of a lot of money at the time. Um, and so, worst decision at, at launch date because because um, best decision. 
very early on, I was like, I'm going to hire interns. Like I'm going to like create this whole network of interns. So for the first two years, like, and as I mentioned, I'm the only full-time employee. Like we, we do have people that are like part-time and work a significant amount of hours for us now. But in the beginning, like the first two years, I only had interns and I found like this amazing crew of interns that were like smart and went to like Carnegie Mellon, which is based in Pittsburgh. And I had this whole, like, they would tell their friends and then they'd work for me. But, you know, I had really great mentors and I just tried to be a mentor for those kids and teach them something along the way, but give them ownership and give them an experience that they couldn't get somewhere else. But they gave me like amazing work output for a small business. And I was on a budget and I was trying to make this thing work and they were really smart and really talented. And so they would do things for me. And um, so that was the best decision. Like just kind of the first two years I was like, you know, run on Duncan, like run on interns. I paid my interns. I, th- I really believe in like paying people if they're putting forth work that's like adding to the business. But um, I learned from them because they're a different generation. I was able to mentor them. I'm still in touch with all of them. They've all actually gone on to do amazing things. But um, that was the best decision. Um, this is really, kind of- really good to know, Pallavi. I'm like, I'm three years behind you. So I- I'm working on something with a podcast right now. I think I have gotten minimum 20 emails from different PR firms asking yeah. if I, you know, I- I'm interested in you know, working with them. I mean, it's like $4,000 an article to get published. Yeah. Like, and I've said no, cause I'm like, something in me, I was like, I don't know about that. Mm-hmm. And then the other thing I've done is started looking at interns. So I'm like, this is and literally, ah. this is all the past couple months. So I'm like, <laughs> I'm so glad you're saying this. I feel like this is a mentorship for me, by the way. Um, <laughs> so this is the right way to go. I think it depends on the way you want to go. Like if I had raised money and like had a team to start, like I decided very early on, like I was going to be, I was going to build this to MVP and then see where it went. And so I built the MVP. It went well. And then I kind of just started chugging along. And then I was like, I want to be a seven figure business before I raise money because I just want to be like, I don't want to have to prove it to anyone. I'm still trying to prove it to people, but, but I wanted to just be like, I have this idea I want. And being a woman and being a, I had already like seen the uphill battle being a female in business, to be really honest. And even when I started this business, I'm not going to say what was me, but you know, you talk to people and you're like, Oh, I have this children's clothing business. And they're like, that's really cute. Like, that's cute. You know? And that. It was all podcasting cute. Yeah. You know, and there's, I think being a woman, being a new mom, being a mother, like all those things kind of led me to be like, I'm going to fight it through till I'm like, okay, I'm here. And then I'm going to sell, like sell myself and sell my story and get equity investors. And that's what I'm in the process of doing now. But um, ultimately, like I always wanted to do it and build it and prove myself. There's always been a little bit of like, well, that's uh, what's comfortable for you. That's what yeah, makes sense. For I've always you, been right? kind of like someone that I've always felt like I was a little bit behind trying to get in front. I don't know. I've always had that, like the underdog, the underdog, yeah, feeling? That under, you know, like that underdog feeling of like, I'm just going to try my best and keep trying and keep trying. And so that's led to like a slower path. But along the way, I've had like two children. And so whenever I'm talking to investors, like I kind of just like, I almost pushed myself too much between having two kids and trying to build this company and trying to prove to myself that I was in it. And once I was past that point with my second, I was like, okay, this is actually the real start of this business. And before I was almost trying to prove to myself, like I can do it all. And I, 
you know, I, and I couldn't, to be we honest. Tend to, we so, tend to do that, right? Yeah. And I think it's a weird thing to be like a professional and then a mom and then like you lose yourself and there's so many different emotions that you feel um, that I think a lot of, you know, mothers can relate to. But then like once I was clear in my head and in thought and had some sleep, you know, you know, I was able to actually like put, put, build this business and right. grow. I love talking to mothers, honestly. So I interviewed, um, you know, Michelle from Ranavat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, you know, you remind me of her a lot. So we're, you know, we're friends and, and we both like, kind of like you, I have very parallel stories, kids and finding yourself. And I started this podcast after my second kid and was kind of just understand who I was like separate from a wife and a mother. Yeah. And she said same thing with her. And that's why I love talking to someone like you. Cause I just, I totally get it. And I also do feel, I don't know if this is like a cheesy way to say it. I do feel more powerful as a mom. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and I feel like you probably feel the same way as well. Now that, that you, you are a mom of two, you know, we are married, we have these amazing and blessed responsibilities, yeah. but I feel like because of that, I can be a, better entrepreneur now? I mean, the amount that I'm able to get done in a day is amazing. Right? (laughs) Like you are, you have no idea what multitasking is until, you know, you have a business and two children and a house, you know, and all the things. Um, In In fact, do you feel more efficient? I am definitely more efficient, but I have come to a point with the business where I'm just out of hours to be really frank. Like, got it. I'm at the end, like uh, there is not an hour that I'm not working. And so I don't want to like glorify it. I feel like a lot of times people are like, this is amazing that, you know, it's been stressful. Like it's hard to, you have not even mom guilt. I don't have guilt that I'm building something away from my kids. I think it's really, really important to have your own identity as a mother, but it has come to a point where it's like, I'm outsourcing more and more and I'm with them less. And I'm, there's a lot of struggles to grow a business. And so that's exactly why I'm raising money and I'm building a team and I have a bigger vision, but I'm at the end of the road of where I can take the vision, you know, independently. So um, let's talk, let's talk about that. That's one of my last questions, but you yeah. mentioned it. So you're raising money, bigger vision. What does that mean? Mm-hmm. I mean, for me, it's like, we make clothing from thread to garment. Like it's a scale business. I've always known that, but I really refined who we're talking to, our message, kind of this overarching. I've always had it in my mind. I want to create this apparel brand that makes life less stressful for parents. I've always said that. But what does that mean? Like, it means like the messages we're putting out. Is there another apparel brand that's like in the trenches with parents, like suggesting books they should buy? You know, like all everything that we're doing and what I want to grow is a brand that has loyalty because of its great products. And we've always put product first, right? But like, I want to build a brand that's around and like makes people feel a certain way and and takes over a niche that just doesn't exist right now. And I say niche, but like, there's no, so there's target and gap, right? But no one's like, no one feels some type of way about gap. Like, let's be honest, you go to gap, you can get your kids clothes, you can get your adults clothes, and you're out because it's convenient. I want to be convenient. I want to be a convenient brand. I want to, you know, provide humor and resources and warmth. And, you know, I think we're just in a world where people are busy. Parents are busy. They feel like they're pulled in so many. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's this other world where like everything on social media is like, I'm perfect. You know, there's, there's a lot of people that are showing they're not perfect, but like I showed that I did something with my kids the other day. And then I was like, 
by the way, like no pressure to do something on St. Patrick's Day, you know, like there's like a whole leprechaun trap thing now. And I was almost like, oh my God, have no time for leprechaun trap. When did we start? Like, I think I just skipped that whole, I was like, I don't even. When did St. Patrick's Day become Christmas? I was like, I can't do every holiday like this, you know? And there is this like, we live in a world where like, as a parent, there are a lot of stresses coming at us at every moment. Um, and I think that's only amplified because of social media or maybe more resources. And, you know, if you look at data, like parents are stressed. I mean, there's just, there's so many decisions to make. I think parents have to make 3000 decisions for themselves and their kids every day. Like no joke. Like, Can I say I wearing- this? And I, and I love my husband and I'm sure your husband's a fantastic father, but I do think a lot of this stress is kind of brought on the moms or, or we bring it on ourselves. I'm not sure. No, no, no. There is like a ton of studies on like the mental mother low, the, the, sorry, the, the mental pressure of being a mother, because like, it's a, it's a dark shadow. That's kind of, this went to like a really negative place. I mean, it is just the reality of being a mother as much as we talk about the next generation, how they're doing more at the end of the day, regardless of how successful I am as a woman, like there is still an internal pressure, potentially fairly, frankly speaking, an external pressure to like take care of doctor's appointments and make sure even if there's like a cleaning person in the house every two weeks, who is that cleaning person? Are we on schedule? All of the things that are happening. And, and I'm not saying my husband is a wonderful person too, but then the day, like he is also a very busy professional, but when it comes down to who is going to take the brunt of some responsibilities. Who's going to take care of shit? Let's just say it. Yeah. And to be honest, like I have things on my counter, like, okay, six months, uh, need to schedule a dentist appointment for kids. What activities are they in? How are they going to get there? If it's not me, I'm still responsible for who, who's taking them there, how they get there, that they're there, that it's on the calendar, you know, and that is starting to wear on women. I think there's definitely dads, especially in the pandemic that have taken over, um, in their workplaces that are adopting to those changes, which is wonderful, but there is something inherent about being a mother. Like there is no one else that can breastfeed their child. That is a reality. And that'd be weird. (laughs) So it can happen, but it'd be weird. No, I mean, I, I think it's, it's a conversation starting to happen a little bit more. And so like, I do think the mental stress on mothers and we always say, you know, as we're pitching to investors, but even as a mom, like, we're talking to moms. Moms are still making a majority of the decisions for their kids as much as we think society has changed. So we're talking to that mom. Like we want to be in, you know, in partnership with her. We want to be a resource for her. We want to like, we want her to like go to Lark every season and be like, this is one of the two or three main brands in my closet because it makes life easy. You know, I love the women's wear. So I'm going to, I, I, I was looking at, I'm researching this morning. I, I do a couple hours of research before the interview to prep myself I so appreciate the free outfit, but honestly, it was such a good selling point because the hoodies that I saw, like this is, I would wear that anywhere. They look Thanks. so comfy, but they like they really are good looking clothes. Yeah. Like our angle on women's clothes is we're not making clothes for 20 year olds. We're making clothes that make, that make you feel good and confident. 
And so like we're coming out with this t-shirt dress, which I will be living in this summer. I love um, t-shirt dresses. I want to wear sneakers and like a t-shirt dress that's just like flowy and like I can have some ice Girl, cream. Girl, we got to hang out. With, we got to drink and have t-shirt dresses on together. That's what we need to do. <laughs> I just need like, you know, a crossbody bag with a sneaker, white sneaker and a, and a t-shirt dress. I just need my hat too because I don't comb my hair ever. So there you go. yeah, that's yeah. Well, two things. Was there ever a point that you feel like you made it? And then was there ever a point that you wanted to quit? I've never felt like I've made it because I think, you know, there are great highs being an entrepreneur, like we've done something right. You know, there's something that's really gone our way. Our sales are amazing this month. Whatever that is, there are definitely high points. I I don't think we've made it. I have like definitely a long way to go. Okay. Um, but lows, yeah. I mean, I think being an entrepreneur is like a really rocky road and a lot of people give up because it does take a lot of mental fortitude. Like you're in it kind of alone, even if you've raised money or whatever, like you are a decision maker. There's people I'm paying every month, you know, like people, I hire a lot of moms. A lot of our workforces like moms that do something on the side for us, or, you know, this is a part-time thing that gives income to their family. And so there, there is pressure. I mean, like it's tough. It, it's, it, it takes a lot of mental fortitude to go through the ups and downs of starting something, anything, podcast, any new career, right. but doing something on your own that's never been done before is a lonely journey. Um, I feel like I've been really sad, but it's an exciting journey. No, like, I it's not, you're not being sad. I, I swear. You're not. You're not. You're being real. No, I mean, like, I, I don't want like bows and diamonds. Like, yeah, tell us how it is because a lot of people that are listening are also you know, my, uh, my, one of my other questions and we can get to it later, but like, is going to be, you've done this entrepreneurship stuff a couple of times, but like the advice you would give yeah. to a particularly South Asian women. Right. Yeah, like, yeah. So I, I love be honest. This whole thing, my whole <laughs> podcast is about being honest and vulnerable. Otherwise there's no point. Yeah. Right. It can, it can be lonely and it can be, there's definitely been times I've wanted to quit. But I also think that the mindset you have to have if you're starting something right. on your own is I view this whole thing as an experiment. Every day I wake up and I say something didn't work. And instead of sitting in that, like you don't have time to sit in it. You're like, this didn't work. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something else. I'm going to try something else. And the people that make it are the ones that try 10 times longer and harder than the ones that don't. And I'm not saying there aren't circumstances or resource issues that lead you to that too. That's a totally different discussion. But I truly believe that like, if you take the mindset that like today I did something right, I did something wrong. What's the next step to be better. Right. You're going to make it right. It may take me longer because I'm bootstrapping my business and it has taken me longer than like, you know, you look at like, I, I listened to an interview with some, someone that worked for daily harvest and they're like, it's also five years old and a billion dollar valuation. That's frustrating, but they've taken a totally different path. Right. right. So you have to just take your own path, understand what it means try to make the best decisions, but you can't beat yourself up about the decisions you've made either. You almost just need to like suck it up and move on. I also feel like that's fine. Daily Har Harvest. And there's many examples of the Daily Harvest, yeah. but I think at the end of the day, you've built something. I'm trying, like you have to be true to yourself. Yeah. Otherwise, what's the point? It, I mean, sure. It'd be great to make a billion dollars. Great. Fantastic. But like, yeah. I think for someone like you, who's trying to build something out of this mission, yeah. That's what counts at the end of the day, yeah. you know? And, and so you're building it in the way that's right for you, which I think yeah. is fantastic. And I think just saying it for you, great advice for entrepreneurs, future entrepreneurs that are listening, you know? Yeah. So 
So there's activewear, right? We know activewear. People have activewear. I know this started in 2017. You have two young boys. You guys are a very active family. You yeah. you kind of, I guess, in your hikes or whenever you guys you were outside with your son, your sons, uh, you noticed that they weren't keeping uh, cool. Like they were sweaty and hot yeah. and uncomfortable. And so you've made this not just activewear. You've made safe activewear, and mm-hmm. this is made out of this bamboo blend. So just this this is very is a special part of why you guys are different. So just kind of tell me about the the material and why yeah. it's so unique compared to the I think it's a I think in your in your website you said it's a hundred billion dollar business. Yeah. So yeah. why are so, you guys different? Yeah. So activewear is a huge business, right? right. Most of that where we're where we wear as adults is made of polyester. Polyester is made from petroleum, so it's a synthetic fabric. To make it moisture wicking or you know, have the properties that they say on the tag, basically sun safe, whatever it is, they just apply chemicals on top of it. So it's topical chemicals that go on to polyester to make them dry fit or whatever is out there, Lululemon, Under Armour. They're basically like slapping on like four or five chemicals as a finish to give the fabric those properties. That's crazy. Um, and that's why when you buy Nike for kids, they're actually not dry fit. You'll never find Nike or under, even though they make the cute clothes for kids, they're actually not made of the same exact material. They are made of polyester, but they're not made of, they don't have the chemicals on top. Um, and so there really wasn't any activewear for kids. And I just was pretty astonished. Like we think about what we put in our bodies. We put, we think about clean beauty. Like if you're wearing leggings, like, I am for 12 hours a day, like at some point you're there. So the the chemicals they use are known endocrine disruptors as well. Um, And so I think like eventually we will come to a place where we're thinking about what we're putting on our bodies and what effect it might have on us. Um, And so I started for kids because I was like, it was only cotton, you know, you get cotton onesies, even if it's organic, like it's still like absorbs moisture and they were kind of just like soaking wet or you like pull even my three month old out of the stroller car seat and their backs like wet because it's just like hot and like black and I I don't know Uh, so I was really just fine trying to find a solution because I think every parent wants one thing like their child to be comfortable and he would get heat rash and little bumps and a lot of children have eczema and so having natural fabrics is always really great there are a lot of bamboo brands out there actually and so there's a difference between ourselves and regular synthetic synthetic activewear. And then there's bamboo and there's a lot of bamboo companies out there. They, those are made almost from like a pantyhose material. So technically bamboo from viscose is like pantyhose material huh. that's made out of bamboo. Okay. And it feels like pantyhose. It's very thin. It's kind of like see-through it. People with sensitivities do love it. It's very soft. Breathable. Like, yeah. Breathable, but almost too breathable. Like you can see through it. Right. Right. <laughs> so ours thicker obviously you you know I told you that you can even see your bra through it it's more durable so like you know my kids will get stains on it you can put it in the wash and so it's kind of the perfect blend of like being a fabric that you can use in your everyday life wear and tear is great I have active kids are getting into like mud puddles and sand and all the things and like you can put in the wash versus like the bamboo sustainable all these great things hard to wash hard to take care of, really pilly and unsustainable, right. like unsustainable from like an everyday life perspective. And then you go to like polyester and cotton and it might wash okay, but like doesn't have the technical benefits. Right, right. That's really cool. Yeah, so I don't, I mean, I was reading it. I was like, soft tech bam- bamboo blend. It's Oki Tech's 100 certified. I was like, I'm not going to try. I'm just going to ask you what, what, <laughs> what's happening. It's like a certification you have, like, like 
uh, sheets will have it too. It just means we've tested to make sure that there's no chemicals like residual on it. As you can tell, I got to see an organic chem. I was like, oh, blah, blah, you're good. Blah, blah, you're blah, blah, blah. good. I thought this was kind of a fun question. So when I, when my friends, I, I was in New York, like I mentioned, I was in New York City last weekend. Mm-hmm. My my girls were wearing the pink, like the pajamas, the rainbow shirt all weekend, yeah. right? Two yeah. days in a row. And so I was asked about what the, who this is and, and, and the brand. And so I thought of this question this weekend. I was like, if I were to sell this brand or, or you know, try to convince, not convince, but just tell people about this brand, yeah. what are the three adjectives I should use? Super soft. <laughs> I know. Totally. Super soft clothes that you never want to take off. That's okay. what I, because at the end of the day, when I started the business, I started talking about how we're different and this and the technical aspect. But sometimes less is more like we make super soft clothes that are more comfortable than what's out there. And I think it's hard to tell that through a screen, but the people that have tried our clothes, like that's why we have a loyal following. We've seen people come onto our site and buy like one thing. And then a couple of weeks later, they buy like five things, you know, and that's what's kept kept us in business. And we're always trying to find new ways to tell that story. And hopefully some money in the door will help you tell that story to more people. No, I, yeah, I do feel like it's an important it. thing. It's hard. There's so many brands out there. There's so much messaging coming at people, but you know, ultimately we our fabrics different. And the way we think about clothes is different. How to make getting a toddler dressed or a baby dressed or yourself dressed and how you feel. Like at the end of the day, I want to make sure people feel amazing. Now, I'm already, I feel passionate about it already. Just, I mean, again, I didn't expect you to send it, but like just wearing it. And I'm bringing up Michelle again because she did the same thing. She sent me all her, her three main products. Michelle's amazing. I mean, just trying them on. I'm like, holy God, I'm like 28 again. This is amazing. No, like, I really felt good in your clothes. I oh, really did. Good. I love to hear about your team, a couple sentences. How have you hired them and how big is it? Kind of obviously your team is what's making this happen. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, we have a couple contractors who have been with me for a really long time at this point, and that's why we're raising the money too, because I want to bring them on full time. They're so like passionate and dedicated to Lark as well. So like Ari, she's our marketing manager. She works like 30 hours a week still, but she's been with us for almost three years. So very early, she's, you know, Pittsburgh mom. I've seen her have two kids. Joe is actually a father and he's our creative director. So I was literally using design interns from CMU until last year and Canva, that mix. And I was like, I think it's time to invest in a creative director. And so he, everyone that works with me in some capacities worked for a company called ModCloth that was based in Pittsburgh and uh, was acquired by Walmart and then another private equity firm. But we kind of have this like crew of people that have worked together before actually, and now have like grown up and have their kids and like feel passionate about what we're doing in my apparel startup and also have a lot of apparel industry experience that I don't have. And so between Joe and Ari and Casey, who's a mom in South Carolina, who started as a customer, then became a brand ambassador, then she was kind of a content creator. And I was like, can you help us find influencers? And because you know how to talk to them, you know, like how to interact. And like, you're always on Instagram. She started doing influencer outreach for us. She also does customer service for us. And then um, this woman, Amy, who has three high school, like older kids. And she was a mom that like, didn't have a career for a long time and gave up a career to raise her children. And was finding a hard time getting a job. And I was like, come in, like I can have you do a million things to help my life and you'll get right. Sales. And I love that. Like it's, it is more, you know, the products we're making are hopefully improving lives, but the people that are on our team, like are passionate about what we're doing and they all have their own things going on, but we're building something together, which is exciting. 
That's amazing. Good for you. Good for you for hiring moms. We're I'm the best. Right? Mom they are the best. We really are. We're the, we're the, the best looking and smartest and everything. She's <laughs> myself that. Okay. Ultimate collab. Who would you love to work with? That can be investors. That can be influencers. That can be I mean, whatever. Or, yeah. or companies. Anything. I think for like Kristen Bell would be like my favorite either celebrity collab or just like come on board, be an investor. She has like a, her own kid's diaper thing going on. Uh-huh. I think she is like the epitome in celebrity form of what we're going for. Like approachable, seems really real, funny. Doesn't love, take love it. <laughs> so my, my ultimate collab for podcaster yeah. is, her, is her husband. Oh, Dax. Yeah. Yes. I absolutely, I listen to Armchair Expert Every, every episode. They seem to do a lot of good with what, what they've been able, you know, they've taken their achievements and done good. And, you know, hopefully I'm in, in that position one day too. Totally. You will be. Throw it out there. And and I'm going to go back to what I asked you before, or we, we talked about before. Advice for future entrepreneurs. Yeah. Even like a what not to do. I don't know. Don't take yourself too seriously. Like, I, and I think, you know, take yourself seriously enough like imposter syndrome is real, you know, like own it. Like I did right. this, you know, and I don't get, I probably need this advice too. You know, I always want to see, I always want to think about what's next instead right. of thinking back on what I've done, but take baby steps, get things checked off the list. Right. And I think, I don't know, I'm a very practical person. Don't focus on what other people think of you. I think if you have a big mission, like I just, I just woke up and I was like, I just want to make better stuff. I don't think it's out there. I'm just going to do it, you know? And I wasn't really trying to like get press or this or that. Like I was really focused on what I, what my end goal was, what right. my end was. I think that will take you further than who knows. I mean, I'm not famous or anything, but like getting, trying to get the credit from outside, like do the hundred percent. Totally. Yes. I honestly, I, the reason why I actually think I'm starting to grow now is because I finally at 41, I stopped caring about what people think. It took me a long time, mm-hmm. but that literally unlocked everything for me. Yeah. That's fine. Absolutely. Whatever. I'm not perfect looking on video. I'm not, I don't, I don't care anymore. I have my base. I have my family. I have my kids, my husband. And and I love listening to your podcast, which is why I reached out to you. So Woo-hoo! I to you. <laughs> Oh my gosh. I need a drink. I'm so excited. The last kind of fun question, free time when you're not working. What are you doing? Drinking. No, I'm just <laughs> <laughs> I already love you. It's, that's amazing. <laughs> Drinking wine, I assume. I, I don't know. I'll take anything. No. Um, you know, definitely spending time with my kids. Like the as I've grown this business, I spend less and less time with them. And I know the years are short or whatever they say. Like Yeah. Uh, no, days are long. Days are long, but the years are short. And I try to remember that. And I try to be fun and do fun stuff um, with them. That is a priority. Like if I'm not at work, I am with my kids and having fun with them and hope to get back to traveling. Like we're uh, trying to take the kids to Europe this, this year because they need to like get out and see something different. Totally. <laughs> so like not just this bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. Or like a resort in Mexico. Like we just want to, you know, we want to provide a lot of resources for them and to show them, you know, things that, you know, we weren't always able to be shown so early on. We are very lucky. 
God yeah. bless our parents. Seriously. I know. Right? Seriously. Oh, sorry. Actually, one more question. Anything that you are currently working on, projects, collabs, anything for this year that you can talk about? I will talk about like what we did last year, which I think would be really sure. interesting to your guests, which is we partnered with a, another small women-founded brand named Hava, and they make Indian clothes. They're almost like the lark for ethnic clothing. They want to make comfortable Indian clothes for kids that are like oh. not Indian scratchy. Um, and Amazing. Monica, um, yeah, Monica's a founder that's like really awesome. And, you know, she, so we. I've always wanted to make the Bali pajamas that are like Christmas pajamas. And so can, you make them, can you make them for me too? Like for mom? I know, too? we'll eventually get there. I really wanted to pull the trigger on adult Diwali pajamas, but I was like, gosh, those margins. But um, I, I don't know if the Indian people are going to want adult Diwali pajamas. But last year we sold out in two days. So Ami actually helped us with that collaboration. But it was, it was like my passion project. I was like, I want just like something for us that we own and like something we, we grew up here and we like celebrate Christmas and I do the Christmas thing, but I wanted like to make the volley our own thing. And so those, the, those, the volley pajamas just like did it, but like they, it just meant so much to me that like people got it and, you know, grabbed onto that and we will be doing it again. But it also just spurred this idea of like, we need, and things we're doing next year, like thinking about Eid and Lunar New Year. And there, and to be honest, a lot of people, bought the Diwali pajamas that were not Indian. And that made me so proud. Like that was one of the most amazing things that I've done to like share my culture and be authentically who I am and put it out there um, and just have people receive it was like really amazing. It's one of the, like my biggest accomplishments with this business. Are you kidding? Anything pajamas I would get. That's like (laughs) the dream, like to be in pajamas at all times. It's just, it's still look good. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I love it. Oh my God, so much fun. You guys, please check out Lark Adventure Wear. It is larkadventurewear.com. Go figure. Uh, Honestly, it'll be the best purchase you make. I am going to get the red hoodie jogger set and never leave it because, holy God, so comfortable. And apparently, you don't have to wash it that much. I mean, score. As always, you can follow me at Tuckered Out Podcast. You know the website. You know all the other stuff. Thank you guys for listening. I am headed to Dallas this week because I'm going to go find a house for us. We are moving in 10 weeks, guys. Thank you guys for listening. This is Tuckered Out. Tuckered Out.